did she do? Women Decker, hello, I am Samsara and you are listening to What Did She Do? Before I begin, I would like to acknowledge this podcast is created in Nam on the lands of the Kulin Nation and thank them for allowing us to tell our stories here. What Did She Do? is a podcast which features reviews written by myself and celebrates the live theatre and events taking place in Melbourne on a weekly basis. Asiatopa is in full swing now and it is also comedy festival time of the year. Praise has opened at the Brunswick Mechanics Institute and has one more performance left. It celebrates the sacred and the sensual. For more information and bookings head to nextwave.org.au. Clara, Love, Sex and Classical Music, a show about romantic mayhem, also has one more show to go at La Mama Courthouse. It is my feature review this week, and for bookings, you can head to lamama.com.au. Victorian Opera's production of Salome, which is playing at the Palais, has two more shows left. It is short, sharp and shocking. For information and bookings, head to victorianopera.com.au. MTC's Torch the Place is running at the Fairfax Studio and has had its season extended through to the 23rd of March. You can book at mtc.com.au. The importance of being earnest is still on in the Merlin Theatre. The show runs until the 8th of March and for bookings and information head to malthousetheatre.com.au. Billy Elliot opened last night at the Regent Theatre and runs through to the 19th of April. For tickets, head to billyelliotthemusical.com.au. Tomorrow, the Butterfly Club's new one-act play festival kicks off with a hand-picked lineup, and I'm actually going to tell you a little bit more about that one. The Butterfly Club has a proud and long history of unearthing and supporting emerging theatre productions from Melbourne's rich and varied independent theatre sector. To recognise and further develop the sector, they are presenting their very own one-act play festival with a hand-picked line-up of some of Australia's newest writers and actors. This year, the club will be presenting five original works covering topics such as mental health, fertility versus friendship, a second-rate spiritual guru and even a show entirely dedicated to chickens. To start the season is The Indifferent Revolutionist by Wolves Theatre Company, which explores the concept of a middle-aged father getting stuck in a lift and realising he's stuck in his 9-to-5 life. For something lighter, perhaps you'd like to catch up with hilarious The True in her spiritual parody, Going Down, How to Stay on Top When You're Getting Sucked Below. For something more experimental, you can't go past the newest work from Company 19, Chook, which is a George Orwell-esque take on Animal Farm, but only about the chicken. Productions that debut at the venue have frequently gone on to national and international tours and have been featured in statewide and national showcases. Catch all five seasons from the 24th of February through to the 7th of March at the Butterfly Club, 5 Carson Place, Melbourne, and for bookings, go to thebutterflyclub.com. At the Borough, Where's My Money is staging a return season. This vicious black comedy opens on the 26th, and you can book tickets at trybooking.com. If you're looking for something a bit different, Arts House are screening Are You Ready to Take the Law into Your Own Hands? And here's a bit more about that one, too. Here is the 
It's a high-octane Filipino action movie musical. Are you ready to take the law into your own hands by Philippines Theatre Ensemble, Sipat Lawan and Friends, with artists from Melbourne's own Kiki House of Divine, is an action thriller set to 40 years of Filipino pop. Are You Ready to Take the Law into Your Own Hands is a Filipino jukebox musical about a ragtag squad of fans on the hunt for Philippines biggest pop star who has been kidnapped. The vigilantes will brave rooftop chases, knife fights in the back of speeding jeepneys and underwater shootouts to liberate their idol from a conspiracy that threatens to tear their country apart. This blistering action epic is set to 40 years of the best Filipino music, vaulting from 1970s peace anthems to contemporary Filipino hip-hop, from viral YouTube techno to iconic Pinoy power ballads. A neon-drenched action-adventure set in a nation on the brink. Are you ready to take the law into your own hands? Has zero political relevance to current events. None at all. It's time to throw out the rules. Dancers from Melbourne's Vogue scene, Kiki House of Divine, are collaborating with Sipat Lawn for the Australian premiere of Are You Ready to Take the Law into Your Own Hands? Founded by graduates from the Philippines High School for the Arts in Manila, Sipat Lawn has been changing the landscape of the theatre and performance in the Philippines. Previous productions include Battaglia Royale, Love, Not Yet a Musical, Awake, Kids Killing Kids and Gobiemo. The director is JK Anikosh, choreographer Jared Luna, lights and technical direction Roman Cruz Jr., video artist Joyce Garcia, music Jay Laspuna, Writer David Finnegan and the performers are Adrienne Vergara, Brandon Roluccio, Bunny Kadag, Gian La Chica and Claudia Enriquez. The dancers are Efren Pamela Khan and Kiki House of Divine. The season runs from the 26th to the 29th of February. The time is 7.30pm. The duration is 90 minutes with no interval and it is showing at Arts House, North Melbourne Town Hall, 521 Queensbury Street. The tickets are from $15 to $25 plus transaction fee and bookings can be made by phoning 03-9322-3720 or you can head to artshouse.com.au. The multicultural work Hades Fading, Hades Memedar opens at La Mama Courthouse on the 27th. What happens if there are no humans left to believe in? For bookings, head to lamama.com.au. Sticking with a multicultural theme, the Motley Bauhaus has its refugee festival opening on the 27th as well. It is a celebration of diversity and you can check out the program at themotley.com.au. For one night only, Chamber may present their new sonic portrait, Dragon Ladies Don't Weep. Later in the show, I will present my interviews with the creative team, but first here's a bit more about it. Dragon Ladies Don't Weep is a work that sweeps across the senses. For one night only, Chambermaid presents the world premiere of Dragon Ladies Don't Weep as part of the Substation Asiatopa program at Art Centre Melbourne. A work that sweeps across the senses, Dragon Ladies Don't Weep is a sonic portrait of new music icon Margaret Leng Tan and an evocative exploration of memory, time, control and loss. Led by Chambermaid and created with Tan's long-term collaborator, the renowned Brisbane-based composer Eric Griswold, and 
chambermaid artistic director Tamara Solwick, Dragon Ladies Don't Weep combines spoken and recorded text, projected images and original music for prepared piano, toy piano, toys and percussion. New York-based Singaporean Tan forged a path as a major force within the American avant-garde, serving as muse for such giants as John Cage and George Crumb. She is the world's first concert toy pianist and her stellar career is a touchstone for the past 40 years of experimental music innovation. Solwick explains that this collaboration unites music and performance in one conversation. A retrospective collage created by an international team of Singaporean and Australian artists, Dragon Lady Don't Weep is an extraordinary cross-cultural collaboration where Chambermaid has united with remarkable artists that not only include Tan and Griswold, but also video designer Nick Rue, dramaturg Kok Heng Nguyen, lighting designer Andy Lim, and trailblazing Singaporean costume designer Yuan Ziying. Tan reflected that this will be her first fully-fledged foray into the realm of the she usually performs in concert. Prior to Dragon Ladies Don't Weep, there will be a 25-minute screening and performance of a new work by Japanese filmmaker Makina Takashi and Australian composer Lawrence English. Following the world premiere at Asia Topa, Dragon Ladies Don't Weep will be presented at Esplanade Theatres on the Bay in Singapore in March 2020. Dragon Ladies Don't Weep is a new chambermaid and cultural link Singapore co-production featuring Margaret Leng Tan and presented as part of Asia Topa in association with Art Centre Melbourne and the substation and co-commissioned by Esplanade Theatres on the Bay. It has been supported by the Australian Government through the Department of Communication and the Arts, the Cultural Diplomacy Arts Fund and Australia Council for the Arts. The National Arts Council Singapore, the substation Play King Foundation, Asia Topa, the Robert Solser Foundation and Esplanade Theatres on the Bay. Asia Topa is a joint initiative of the Sydney Meyer Fund and Arts Centre Melbourne and is supported by the Australian and Victorian Governments. It is on for one night only on the 28th of February at 7.30pm. The duration is 85 minutes and it is on in the Playhouse at Arts Centre Melbourne, 100 Sequilla Road, Melbourne. Tickets are from $29 to $39 plus transaction fee and for bookings you can go to artscentremelbourne.com.au Together. I think the pre-designated time agreed upon was um, half an hour. So we began to play, and as the music progressed, I began to hear these delicious icicles of sound dripping from all corners of the room. It was quite magical. MTC kick off their 2020 Cybec Electric play readings from the 27th. It features nine astonishing playwrights and details and bookings can be made at mtc.com.au. And finally, the comedy festival has come to town again and you can get a great laugh with Hot Pants, which is an adventure as satisfying as the Great Ocean Road. Playing from the 27th at Club Voltaire, bookings can be made at comedyfestival.com.au. My feature review this week is for Clara, Love, Sex and Classical Music.
It's on from the 18th to the 23rd, so tonight is its last night, at La Mama Courthouse. It was written and performed by Elena Matson, directed by Katrina Kerridge, and the lighting is by Paul Reisenberger. Clara, Sex, Love and Classical Music is a show Matson created in 2018 in anticipation of the bicentenary of the birth of pianist and composer Clara Schumann. It is a feminist interpretation of what restricted a woman of such talent from achieving the place in history afforded her husband, Robert, in a gentle and witty retelling of her life. Clara Schumann was a virtuistic pianist during the Romantic era and was the peer of people such as Robert Schumann, Johann Brahms, Franz Liszt and the list goes on. More than their match on the piano, she dabbled in composition although, as Matson shows us, her life as a wife of male composer and mother of seven children, it was just not possible for her to develop her compositional skills, especially when her husband forbade her to play whilst he was composing because it interfered with his creativity. Whilst there is a moderate body of work which shows she has talents as a composer, what most people don't understand is she was the rock star of her era. A child prodigy who started touring at the age of nine, Clara Schumann basically invented the concept of playing recitals by memory, now a common expectation. And in fact, really made the piano recital the popular performance mode which has dominated so much of musical presentation since her death. Sadly, you won't hear any of this in the show Clara, Sex, Love and Classical Music because despite Madsen's feminist approach, all she really does is continue the patriarchal framing of women in history by the men surrounding them rather than the achievements themselves. As with all films and other retellings of Clara's life, Matson focuses on the controversial marriage to Robert Schumann against her domineering father's wishes and the subject of a court case, and her unconsummated love affair with Brahms. The great irony of a patriarchal history is embedded in the reality that it was Clara's skill and popularity which really allowed Roberts and Bach's music to be heard and therefore recognised, a truism all women know and can relate to. As a tale of love and historic oppression, Clara is still quite a telling and insightful show though. What Matson does well is show exactly how having children is an immediate impediment to a woman's career, something we know is true even in the 21st century. There is also the intriguing truth that three weeks of Clara going on a concert tour earned the household more money than a year of Robert's composing and editing. I also love the honesty of Brahms' love story and how important it was in a pre-contraception era for a woman to avoid sex. I don't know if this is a recent addition to the show, but there is a striking moment of unity of art and politics as Clara berates an orchestra she is conducting because Robert fell ill. She references how she can see how unaccustomed the men are to women being there because of the lack of female toilet facilities. Given the recent sports rorts in our federal political arena, this tiny moment of witty observation echoed resoundingly around the room. Don't think of that as ancient history either, because I know in the early 80s, 1980s that is, women were still being denied employment because workplaces did not have female toilet facilities. Matson's performance is lively and delicate at the same time. I was a bit confused about her constant air of nerves though, beyond the opening conceit, which is hilarious. Clara was a strong woman raised by a demanding father, mother to seven children and the major breadwinner in her family. Portraying her as a delicate flower seems odd and is not really in harmony with her music which is darker and perhaps more risk-taking than that of her husband's. 
The dramaturgy is not the best, time shifts around, that doesn't bother me, but the narrative logic of the shifts is slightly opaque. There is also some tedious repetition. I really only needed to hear about Robert's repression of playing while he composes once, not three times in a work which sits around an hour long. I also really wanted the story to be more connected to the music, and I just wanted more music generally. The Romantic Era is about music being connected to narrative, and there are moments when it works well in Clara, such as the use of variations as a means of communication between the Schumanns when they are banned from contact. Beyond that though, the linkages are weak and the music seems more of a performance requirement. I suspect this is a problem with the direction because Matson rarely played and spoke. The storytelling and the music felt somewhat disconnected. Carriage needs to work harder to have those two modes blend, I feel. Clara's sex, love and classical music is a solid piece of theatre with a lot of laughs built in. It definitely lets us inside the world of Clara Schumann as a woman, even though it doesn't really speak to her impact on music and her true place in history. A better piano would make the music speak a bit louder in the work, metaphorically speaking, but we all know how expensive having a piano in any show is, with the cost of hire, transportation and tuning, so congratulations on making this work in an independent context. It is definitely a show which benefits from intimacy and would have shone in glory in the old La Mama Theatre, and I gave this show three stars. There is only one show left of Clara, but bookings can be made at lamama.com.au. If you would like to comment on this or any of my reviews, you can go to whatdidshethink.com and have your say in the comments section under the review. I have enjoyed all of the interactions so far. You can invite me to review your show through the Contact Me gadget on the left of the page. If you want my reviews as soon as they come out, you can follow me by email. Just fill out the field to the left of the reviews. Now it's time for something special. This week, I was invited to view a rehearsal for Dragon Ladies Don't Weep and had the opportunity to interview some creatives, including composer Eric Griswold, director Tamara Solwick, videographer Nick Rue, and Margaret Langtan herself. Have a listen and then book your tickets because Melbourne only gets one opportunity to see this show. But even I think as a child, there was some trace of it. I remember very clearly in my mind, I'd love to say, one, one. Now, isn't that nice? One could stop at one. attack which sounds a little bit like childish but then it has that really rich resonance and harmonics together it's very much a percussion instrument if you want to think of it that way I was approached initially just by Eric about coming onto the project just as a, as a director, not nothing to do with Chambermaid. At 
the time I thought, well, I can't take on another project. And then I met with Eric and Ching Lee, Margaret's producer from Singapore, and we started talking about the project. And the more we talked about it, the more I thought, oh, maybe actually this would be a great fit for Champion. This one is different. So best toy pianos are very well engineered, but it's not like a Steinway where you're trying to make each key have the same tone. So you'll get those really idiosyncratic differences between the tones and so you'll just get one bar just pinging in a really interesting way. Spending time in the room with Tam and Margaret and Hang and getting to know a bit of Margaret's story a bit better and, and what drives her and her kind of thought processes and motivations behind her music and the history of her playing. definitely started as toys for kids um, in, uh, I guess, 19th century or maybe, maybe back a bit further than that. And I went away and I had a look at Margaret's work and thought, wow, what an amazing performer and what an incredible ground she has and what an interesting story I'm sure she has. And that kind of forms a lot of logic and the motivation behind the, the kind of um, ab more abstract kind of video. seminal experiences come from the 20th century, you know, I'm old, so... <laughs> it was really John Cage who was the first to, let's say, write a serious um, classical type work for toy piano, and then it's really Margaret who's, who's um, then turned that into a whole body of music. So we came together to meet in Singapore, the core team, to see if it could be a fit and what she was imagining and what we thought we could bring to it. I try and shy away from it being documentary. I, I remember once I was so embarrassed because I was doing this at school and, and the teacher, you know, I didn't realise the teacher was watching me. representation of a feeling or a, some sort of inter internal thought process. There's so many themes that run through this work. With the toy instruments, nobody knows what to expect. So it's like an open book. Young composers, really young, like 20s, 30-year-old kids, they all want to write for me because they're so intrigued and fascinated and challenged by my toy piano and toy instruments. I would say that how our collaboration has developed is that Margaret has such an amazing presence as a performer. She's such a commanding presence on the stage that over the years I've learned more about 
what works for her physicality. So, you know, uh, they've completely forgotten that I'm old enough to be their grandmother and they treat me totally as an equal and they write for me works that are very much of a 21st century sensibility. One of the things I was really excited about with working with Margaret was working with a musician of the stature of Margaret and who is a woman who is 74 years old, who is still just this incredible force. And so for me, that's very exciting to see an older woman at actually really seemingly at the height of her power, performing and performing her story and owning the space. So that's one thing that excites me about this work. to be broken because all the rules have been broken already by the children of Cage, people like me and Eric. And so we've paved this way for this new generation to just completely be themselves and do what they want with abandon and without any inhibitions. Whatsoever. When I'm composing music for her, I'm thinking about how would Margaret play this? Eric has written some stunning music for this piece, some stunning compositions for this piece. It's constantly trying to build something that is impossible to be built. So it really um, influences the type of expression. It sounds just magical and it takes you down memory lane and it has nostalgia. You have to practice very hard on the toy piano just as hard as you would practice on a real piano, on an adult piano, to accomplish something artistically worthwhile, because the toy piano is so primitive. I'm thinking, okay, this is how I would play it, but how would Margaret play it? It's a repackaged xylophone pretending to be a piano. The control it takes to control subtleties of touch and articulation and dynamics on the toy piano is actually harder than on a grown-up piano. And do you know that as a result of all these years of practicing on the toy piano and the kind of incredible f fingertip sensitivity it takes, you develop such control that when you go and you play a, a rail piano, it's like a breeze. <laughs> to go back and play George Crumb after practicing toy piano yes. means I can reliably make these six degrees of piano to piano sississimo that he requires and make these defined definitions between these levels reliable. So it's the sound world and the developing the sound world but also the physicality of the It's all part of the same. It's a reflection of some of the ways that Margaret bridges music and bridges her life and things like that. You know, the way her mind sort of has to function in certain situations. <laughs>
something that says what I want to say, but that also expresses something for Margaret. So it has to fill both roles. It happened spontaneously after I, you know, discovered John Cage's suite for toy piano and realized that this little instrument had the potential to become a real instrument. And then I was getting all my composer friends excited, getting them introduced to the toy piano, and it spurred them on to unprecedented heights of creative frenzy, and I was making arrangements of pieces by Satie and Philip Glass that I felt had to be heard on the toy piano, which I thought might sound even better, and they did, on the toy piano than on the rail piano. They lend themselves to the toy piano. I could go on it. I didn't like wake up and say I'm going to become the world's first toy piano virtual. So I gradually evolved <laughs> into the world's first concert toy pianist. I think there's a number of reasons people could come because of their interest in Margaret's history and story. They could come because they're a follower of Eric's music and he's written really stunning, stunning set of compositions for it. It's also got this really rich visual world developed by Nick Rue, our video artist, which helps to kind of sew together the themes and stories with the music and with Margaret's performance. With this particular work, it was very clearly defined what we wanted to express in it. But with earlier works that I've collaborated with him on, it's just been so wonderful. It's like having waving my magic wand and it's telling Eric, you know, I want a piece that has bicycle bells in it. And before I know it, he's made me a piece for bicycle bell, bicycle horn, train whistle, and toy piano. <laughs> and now in this piece, the one very funny movement in it is um, Dragon Lady Calling. And that's for toy iPhone, toy Fisher-Price landline. You know, I don't think anything of significance happens just by accident. It has to happen when you're ready to receive it. I first met John Cage. Uh, this was when I was back at Juilliard in around 19, it was 1968, that's right, 1968. Here we were, 20 pianists, gathered in Steinway basement, and we were there to perform John Cage's winter music for two up to 20 pianists. And we were being paid $50 a piece to do this. I remember John Cage showing up in his overalls. We were each given our individual scores. And a stop that we could start and stop together. I think the pre-designated time agreed upon was um, half an hour. 
So we began to play, and as the music progressed, I began to hear these delicious icicles of sound dripping from all corners of the room. Calling this a sonic portrait more than a memoir. So, given that Margaret's principal practice is coming out of music, I knew that there would be some text, some spoken words, some pre-recorded spoken text. But really, to draw the threads out, it was always going to have to be done visually. We knew that the predominant performance mode would be her playing. She's talking about her OCD. She's talking about her relationships and key figures in her life. And so, we're able to use those little themes and figures and bring them into the visual scape. So it just helps to speak to speak to yeah the underlying Dragon Ladies Don't Weep is on for one night only on the 28th of February. Tickets can be booked at chambermaid.org. The Comedy Festival really takes over next week, as does Virgin Australia Melbourne Fashion Festival, and Asia Topa is still in full swing, so there is heaps going on in Melbourne. On the 4th, the Mama Courthouse presents The Winter's Tale. For more information about this fit of wild jealousy, head to lamama.com.au. Fast Fashion is taking over VAMP at Schoolhouse Studios from the 4th as well. For the full program, head to vamp.com.au. Finally, MTC opened their next main stage show in the Sumner Emerald City. This high-octane, wisecracking commentary opens on the 6th of March. What Did She Do is created by myself, Samsara. If you like what you heard today, you can leave a tip by following the tip jar link in the show notes. You can support me to sustain this project by becoming a regular financial subscriber. Just follow the tip jar link. The site will tell you how. You can get my reviews hot off the press as they come out by following whatdidshethink.com by email. Just click on the field to the left of the page and submit your email address. Also, if you like a bit of fiction in your podcast mix, you can check out my other podcast, Samsara's Dramas. Scripts straight from my pen to your ears via an amazing ensemble of actors. Right now, audiences are indulging in a fun Aussie take on the traditional summer Shakespeare. Let's catch up again next week. What did she do?